continue until all to such unity in our faith and knowledge of and knowledge of God that son God's son that we will be mature in the Lord um, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ awesome job that's not practicing right there we should all not practice because that was great. Um, so, like I said, we're going to do things a little bit different. Before we dismiss kids, we're actually going to, uh, I don't know, should we do it with kids in here or without kids in here? With kids in here? Okay. All right. Um, we're going to do something. Donna was telling me that um, back before, you know, Casey and I were here, we had opportunities where we would pray as kind of a whole church and more specifically, kind of like around the outside of the church. And I, when she was telling me about that, I was like, that's super cool. We definitely need to do that. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take an opportunity right now. And, uh, and as, a, as a body, we're going to pray for Ethan. Um, if you guys don't know what's going on with uh, Ethan Yarnell, he is uh, currently in Kansas City in the Children's Mercy Hospital um, with um, some heart heart. Um, infection going on, lung infection going on. I believe it's pneumonia. I don't know if that's ever been like officially official, but it's just stuff's not good. Um, His heart is at a 17% as of yesterday um, running, and um, that's not, it's not where it needs to be. Um, But there has been some good news. It's not amazing news, but um, his uh, lactic acid um, reading has gone down, which was explained to me I did not know this beforehand, but um, lactic acid is caused by when the heart is over, being overworked, um, and so him having a high lactic acid is, is a symbol of his heart being overworked, trying to, to beat out the infection. It was running at 151 when I was there on Friday night, had it been as high as 155 beats per minute, and that, that's quick, um, and so it's being overworked and not, a, not enough... Uh, good blood going through and, and that kind of stuff. So, but that number has gone down as of this morning and they took some more tests and they're going to figure out some more things about it. So there is some, some minute good news, um, but he's still in critical condition. And that's, that's a scary place to be for parents, it's a scary place to be as brothers. And that's a scary place for Ethan to be. Um, and so we just, we're going to pray as a, as a, as a church, we're going to take some time, just kind of more silent prayers. We are standing around and then, and then I'll pray. Um, over all of us. So um, go ahead and find somewhere on the outside um, to, to make yourself available. Father God, we we just cry out to you in this time of uncertainty, in this, this time of a lot of questions and a lot of unknowns and what the doctors are saying and, and what's happening in Ethan. And we just, we give it all over to you, God. We just, we desperately pray for comfort, 
for healing, for guidance. We pray for the doctors, for them to have the knowledge and the understanding of what is going on and the medicine to give him the best way for Ethan to, to come out of this fully healthy, fully healed, without any, any long-term problems or any kind of issues. We pray for Tiffany and for Kevin as they're dealing with uh, the worry and the, the stress. and We just give them over to you, God, and get this situation over to you, Father. And We know you hear, we know you listen, and we know that, that you give us everything we need. We pray for your will to be done in this situation, and we pray for you to, to speak loudly in it. Father, we love you, and we pray this as a church. We all say amen. Amen. All right. Uh, kids, you're dismissed to Children's Church. Sometimes in the, the awkwardness, some of the best things can happen, and so I appreciate you guys kind of doing something that was a little bit awkward and maybe a little bit outside of your comfort zone and something that uh, you wouldn't have normally done. So I appreciate, I appreciate your willingness in that. And I mean, anytime as a, as a family that we can, we can be in unity to, to have the same mission is always, always important. Um, so we are continuing in this series, this, a trustworthy saying, and, um, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know what I got myself into, uh, with them because the, the first one was like, duh, trustworthy saying like, yeah, Christ came to die for sinners. That's like, that preaches itself. Like I don't have to do anything. And then I remembered what the other ones were. (laughs) If you know what the trustworthy sayings are, this next one is talking about overseers and, um, and I, I kind of struggled. This is this is like the exact same kind of dilemma I have when uh, when I was given opportunities to preach like Mother's Day sermons. If you know what I'm getting at, I am not a mom, and so for me to stand in front of a group of people and say, you know, Mother's Day sermon, this is or like veteran services, like I like it's it. You kind of have to go into a place where I'm not. And uh, and I found myself in the same exact thing with with overseers and and Paul writing to Timothy about what an overseer is supposed to be and and I'm like yeah I've studied all this and like I get it I understand what's going through but for me I'm like I don't like so I had to go back and think about overseers in my life. And overseers that have made a difference in my life. And, and maybe you can do that in your own life. Think about people just in your time of being a Christian, your walk with, with Christ. And think about the people that have had some kind of effect over, over you. And, uh, and what you have chosen to do or, or paths that you went down and choices that you've made and conversations you've had. Think about those different people. Think about the men in your life that helped mold kind of your walk. And for me, when I started kind of pondering this idea and thinking about what Timothy was saying or what Paul was saying to Timothy here in First Timothy about overseers and kind of the, the requirements that they had and, and who they were and who they were expected to be, my mind went to one particular elder in the church that, that I became a Christian um, through in uh, Salem, Illinois. And his name was, uh, you know, Larry. Larry Williams, an amazing guy, super quiet guy. He was a dad to one of the kids in the another senior in the in the youth group, and we would go over to this friend's house. His name was Colby. We would go over to Colby's house all the time, just kind of just to hang out, just to kind of you know be in this environment. They, uh, I remember one particular story, just to kind of give you uh, just something fun to to have. We were playing. Uh, I don't even know what Madden it would have been, like 2002, Madden 2002 or something. It was like super retro then. It was brand new, uh, and we were playing it. And uh, you know we we're you know we were real close to St. Louis, and and so our team that 
they always rooted for were the Rams back, you know, back when the Rams were there. And, uh, and she, him, Colby, his mom and, and her, his dad were all sitting there while we were playing this game. And, and Colby was playing as the Rams. And, uh, and unfortunately he was not doing well in the game. Uh, he was losing against the other team. And I, I vividly remember his mom, Felda saying, that Kurt Warner can't throw a football to save his life. She thought it was like a legitimate game that was happening on the screen. Uh, they were just that couple that was just so much fun to be around, and, and they would laugh at themselves because then we informed his mom that this was a video game and they, they weren't real people and that her son was just doing terrible. Um, and we had a good laugh about it because that was the kind of people they were. They just enjoyed people being around. We would have crazy long conversations with, with Larry, and, and they would always kind of wind back to that really solid biblical way of handling teenagers is by asking them back questions. And that was always how he would kind of work through what we had going on. Like we would come to him about just whatever you know, going on at school, and he would just throw it back at us. Like, well, if somebody was doing that to you, how would you handle it? You know, or, or if you were doing that to somebody else, what would you think that person would need from that situation? You know, it was just those kind of like really thought through kind of ways of answering. And I don't know if they were lazy or if uh, they, they were thought through, but for me, they worked. You know, they, they allowed me to kind of come to my own conclusion in understanding what I needed to do. And so I thought about this man that, you know, he never preached. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't the kind of person that would ever really teach a Sunday school class. He wasn't the kind of guy that was just always super personal, or, you know, personable and, and over the top and really talkative. He was just a normal guy that loved Jesus and loved talking to people about Jesus. So maybe in your life and maybe in your time of being here at Galesburg, you have come across you know, some particular elders that, that really kind of did that same thing for you, that just really kind of helped you through you know, some problems or some situations that, that you were dealing with and, and taught you in a way and helped you in a way to understand exactly what was going on. The scripture that was read for us by Jackson before we prayed was Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And in that specific section... Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, which is where Timothy actually is, he writes to them saying that Christ gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, preachers. And so we're kind of in this period as, as a church where, you know, we're going through this transition and we're looking and praying for this new minister and, and this new um, person to come in and, and kind of speak truth into our life. And and as I kind of started struggling with this trustworthy saying, I started to realize that this was exactly what we needed to hear. And, you know, there's a lot of other reasons that we should be talking about this. You know, the first one is, is the obvious stand true statement is it's the God, you know, it's the word of God. So, uh, so it's trustworthy and it's worth being said. The second one is actually out of Titus, the book that comes after 2 Timothy, where he says the second reason is Paul makes it clear in Titus 1.5, that elders are to be appointed in every church and every city. There are supposed to be overseers everywhere. He says this in, in Titus 1.5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. So elders in churches are clearly something very important to God. It's, it's important for the life of the local congregation, and it's important for us as believers, to have people that we can rely on to speak truth into our life. And then thirdly is, is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. If you want to pop that up on the screen there, Jody. And this is what Jackson read for us. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There we go. Until we... Uh, all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So among 
those officers are elders, they're pastors, they're teacher, teachers. And now when Jesus, I mean, Jesus talks a lot about gifts. Jesus talks a lot about, you know, the father giving the things that, that the children need. You know, if, if the children were to ask for a piece of uh, a loaf of bread, do you give them a snake, you know, give them a rock, you know, kind of thing. Like we have those stories and it's like, no, like when Jesus gives us a gift, he gives us exactly what we need. And so here Paul says that these are gifts that Christ gave. And Jesus doesn't give unnecessary gifts. And so if he gave the gift of officers to the church, then he must think that his church needs these people. So Paul has left Timothy with the same task as Titus, namely to appoint elders in the church of Ephesus. The difference is that probably Timothy had to kind of take some uh, unfortunate steps to remove some people, which is why we get these qualifications that Timothy gets. Because he probably had people in the church that that weren't qualified, that weren't upholding what Paul saw as, as the necessities to what uh, the eldership is. Woodrow Wilson, after his presidency, actually had this quote about being an elder. Somebody asked him what was the greatest honor he had ever had as his life. And he said his response was this, to be an elder in the church. That was his response. He had been the president of the United States of America and the most powerful person in the world. And the thing that he viewed as the most honorable and the most high of uh, responsibilities was that he was an elder of the church. He considered it to be the greatest privilege of his life. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you want to turn in your Bibles to that, this is going to be where we find the second trustworthy saying from Paul to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So right away, again, Paul opens up this section of Scripture by saying, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And then he goes into this list of, uh, of different traits of what a overseer has. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we have this list that Paul gives, and like I said at the beginning, it's most likely because Paul had uh, some, some people inside of the church in Ephesus that were not upholding to what Paul saw as an overseer. You know, Paul, Paul saw these men that were probably tearing apart the congregation, that, that were ruining what they were supposed to do. The overseer in the church is to be somebody that when the world is just constantly saying things like, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites, they're the men that you can point to to say, but they're, our, they're an example of what we are supposed to be striving towards. And Paul said that these people were not doing that. And this was a list probably directly from what these men were doing. I don't know if it's exhaustive. You know, Paul doesn't say these are the only things that an overseer is supposed to be and to do, but these are definitely some main points that Paul kind of says. So right off the bat, he says uh, that there are supposed to be, uh, sorry, right off the bat, he says, it's a trustworthy saying, and if anyone aspires to this office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's very clear from the Bible that God intends his church to have overseers, to have pastors. And the word here in, what, in verse 1 translated as overseer is actually ipsikopas, uh, nailed it, which come to this title as overseer or shepherd or pastor or elder. All these titles are actually, for the most part, interchangeable. 
Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey was, was in part about appointing these people. I'm not going to say that word again because I butchered it. But these elders, these shepherds, these pastors, these overseers. Acts chapter 14, verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then we see later in Acts twenty twenty-eight, he says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He connects the cross to what the overseers are doing. The point is God desires that all churches are to be led by these kind of people, these kind of men, the men that are above reproach. God desires every church to be led by qualified men. And this is why Titus was left in Crete, and why Timothy was left in Ephesus, to seek out men and enlist them as overseers. So here's the list that, uh, that we have to kind of just see as an overview. This is the first section of, if you want to show that first, thank you. The first one is there to be above reproach because the work of an overseer is a noble task. It's the task to be viewed as the highest level, to be understood at the highest level, must be above reproach. This above reproach is a, an overarching phrase and it will actually take on all 11 of the qualities. So the first one of the qualities is that he's a husband of one wife. And man, this has been a hot topic, a subject of a lot of debate. Um, a lot of people that could have qualified as elders have been disqualified as elders over a misunderstanding of what this three-letter or three-word sentence, this three-word trait says this has been misunderstood for years. And so what Paul is trying to say here is not that this husband, or one, that this has to be a married person. That doesn't have to be the case even. I mean, Paul himself wasn't even married, which is kind of funny later on when he starts talking about kids and how we're supposed to control them. Like, Paul, you didn't even have kids. Like, bro, check yourself, man. Like, you haven't seen my son, okay? Let's move on. Uh, and so we, we've had a lot of um, debate over, so one right away, they don't have to even be married. What it means is that man cannot be somebody that is constantly looking around. Um, you know, like, like Jesus specifically says, you know, it's not just adultery that's the sin. It's that a man looks upon a woman with a lustful heart. That's what Paul is getting at here. It's not just to be a man, of, of a, or not to be a husband, but that he is a man that if he was to be married, he would be a man of one woman, one person kind of scenario. The other uh, one that a lot of people use to disqualify is that uh, you know the husband had a wife that maybe is no longer alive, um, and, that, and that doesn't disqualify. And then the last one is that uh, you know, something unfortunate happens, and in the marriage, the, the two dissolve, and they're no longer uh, married. And that, too, according to the interpretation of what this actually means, is not the case. You know, there was a lot of people, there's been a lot of men that have been hurt by the church over this idea that could have had some really amazing elders, really amazing overseers, that chose not to pick them simply just by the phrase, divorced being thrown at them right away. And now, that doesn't mean that every single person that has been divorced should just be given the role of overseer. Like, that's not what I'm saying either. But there needs to be some level of discernment that goes on in, in what happens, you know, to understand what happened within the divorce and, and what does that look like now and, you know, all those kind of things come to mind. But, but just simply just saying, like, you know, that getting that red letter A slapped on your, on your chest... And saying that you were divorced, you can no longer serve in the church. That's just not the case. So what this phrase means is that this is a man and husband who is committed to his wife or the bride of Christ. And is not one who is always looking around at other women or flirting or literally means a man of one woman. So under certain circumstances, a divorced man, like I said, could could actually fall into that category. All right, that was a whole lot for one. Next one, sober-minded. It's really simple. 
It means free from excessive rashness. We might say, you know, somebody that's a hothead or somebody um, that is, you know, goes off the rail or somebody that can't be controlled or somebody that fly, you know, flies off the handle. Uh, and then the, la- the next one is self-controlled. Here is a, somebody that is not being controlled by others or by sin. Respectable. Those he serves have respect for him. This will greatly add to his credibility. Hospitable. Those he is serving him have, or or, sorry, he shows others hospitality, opens his home to others and cares for others' needs. I think of this this comedian that talks about this specific situation. Our world doesn't really uh, like when people knock on their doors. I don't know if you've ever uh, felt like that nowadays, but like um, you can clearly tell that somebody is home and you go to their house and you knock on their door and, and nobody answers. And uh, maybe it happens in your own house when somebody knocks on your door and you say this phrase, like, who could that be? Who is here? You know, but I remember even in my lifetime, and maybe you can even identify even better, but I remember in my lifetime, my mom saying, well, that's for guests. That's for special, that's for visitors, you know, that kind of stuff like that. Or like buying, like I hated it. She would buy like cake and stuff and be like, that's for when, that's for when guests come. I'm like, when do I get to be a guest? And maybe you had that in your own life where you had special things or you bought special things for when guests, when random people would kind of just show up. And people randomly showing up weren't a burden. You know, you were excited. You were glad that somebody just popped in to see you. Nowadays, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, we are literally running out to do something. And, and you came, and I'm so sorry, but I can't talk right now. Like, even to the point where, like, I don't know if you do this. I do it. So if you do it, you probably feel, if I do it, you probably feel the same way. But like, I don't even like calling people first. Like I prefer to text somebody first just to find out if they're even busy. Like, hey, can you talk? Like there was a time when like we didn't even have caller ID and you could call somebody and they would pick up. And then, then they were mad if there was like a telemarketer, you know, like, but we just assume that whoever's calling me is a mistake. Like clearly you must not have meant to call me. You must be mistaken. I didn't get a text first. But hospitable, that's something that's big. That's something that, are you burdened when people come into your life? Are you burdened when somebody uh, interacts with you? The next one, this is one that uh, most elders or most people that think they could be elders all of a sudden just go, I can't do that. Like, that's not for me. Able to teach. And this is one that, like, if, if you have ever thought about being an elder or even have been talked to about being an elder, this is the one where you're just like, well, I can't be. I can't teach. I'm not going to stand up here and preach and pretend like I'm not sweating and, uh, and be awkward. And I'm not going to be the one that, you know, like comes up with a class and, and talks to people. Like, that's not what I'm going to do. But like I said in the beginning, being a, somebody that teaches is not somebody that just necessarily stands up in front of a crowd of people or in front of a, a group of, of people for a lesson Somebody that teaches is somebody that just constantly embodies this idea of walk with me. I will show you what's going on. I will live with you. I'll live life with you. When you have questions, I'm the kind of person that you can understand that you can ask me these questions. And I might not have the answers to everything, but I promise you I won't make you feel dumb for asking them. And I promise you I will try my best to figure out an answer for you somebody that's willing to learn, somebody that's willing to teach, and somebody that's just kind of always given that, that personality. That's what Paul is talking about here when it comes to able to teach. Now, some elders can preach, and some elders can teach class, but that's not exclusively what this section is talking about here. All right, so those are the positive ones. And you're like, positive? Teaching? And these are the things they shouldn't do. And really, I kind of feel like most of these are summed up in the, the idea of being self-controlled in most of them. You know, if you're somebody that is sober-minded and self-controlled, then the, this list is really just kind of like nonsensical. But Paul, again, because he's writing to a specific person with a specific situation going on, he feels it's necessary to write down these things right away. Not a drunkard. 
An elder cannot be prone to drunkenness. This is part of being self-controlled. Not violent. And you're just kind of like, duh. But again, Paul feels that these are specific things that he is writing to Timothy about. Not violent, but gentle. Here's the, the one that I think is the real kicker that he says within this. Not quarrelsome. There's sometimes in our conversation that we have as a church body, and, and not just like, I'm not just saying GCC, but I'm saying like as Christians, where we feel like it's more important to be right than it is to be loving. And that is what Paul is saying here, is we're, we're not supposed to be prone to quarrelsome. We're not supposed to be prone to, to wanting to cause fights within the church. Yes, you might be right, but does that show Christ's love the most? The next one, not a lover of money. This too was a vice for the false teachers in Ephesus who loved money and, and popularity. You know, like many times when you have money, everybody wants to know you. Their teaching was to gain notoriety for themselves and along with that wealth. Again, the overseer must not be prone to this love of money because this might cause him to teach something other than God's word. And we have a word for that now. We call it prosperity gospel. If you've ever heard that before, where you use the word of God to gain money, to gain notoriety in the world. The next one, this is the one that I think is funny, as uh, with Paul not having children and him speaking into people's lives on how to manage children. But he says, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, he will care for God's church. Okay, Paul. Here again, we have various views. Does this mean that every elder has to have children? No. Does it, uh, it means that the man aspiring to this noble task should know how to care for and rightly manage those within his own household. If he cannot handle that, then why would he think that he could handle managing the things of this church? He must not be a recent convert. An overseer should be mature in the faith. This is not speaking of maturity in years, but maturity in Christ. And again, that is not even referring to years. Somebody can be mature in Christ and still have less years as some other people. But it's a matter of how submissive are you to learning. And then the last and final one is, he must be well thought of by outsiders. And this is like a really hard one to really truly grasp. And we talked about this a little bit and actually in our Sunday school class where we're kind of striving to understand Generation Z. We talked about this idea of we need to be a countercultural church and uh, we need to be countercultural Christians to be a countercultural church. And the way that we're countercultural is rather than running after the things that brings us, um, you know, brings us uh, fame and fortune, we run after the things that bring Christ fame. And, uh, you know, specifically Christ calls us, if we are to, to show God's love, then we are to com- keep his commandments. And we do that, we are showing Christ to the world. And so this being thought of well by outsiders is one that can be really difficult to interpret. Because sometimes somebody that's well thought of by outsiders is not necessarily running after the heart of God. Somebody can be really well-liked by those around him, and they might not be necessarily somebody that's running after, after Christ. So as we study this book of uh, Timothy, you know, 1 Timothy, this letter that, that he wrote, that Paul wrote to this, uh, this young disciple, he constantly is kind of pulling back to what he wrote in the book of Ephesians. And like I said, we read chapter 4, verses 11 through through 13. And so when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church is that Jesus has given overseers and elders to his church for the purpose of equipping them in the knowledge of the Son of God. So they are set here. Elders, preachers, teachers are given not just to kind of be the only person to be looked to as uh, as faithful followers, but they were set up here to equip all of us, to equip the saints, 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the task is more than just teaching. It's teaching in such a way as to equip the saints to be able to go out and to do ministry. So all of our roles are not to just look to the elders to do everything. All of our roles are to go out into the world and to make disciples. And what the elders are to do is, along with doing that, they are also supposed to equip all of us to do that better. And maybe that's in regular conversations. Maybe that's in a, in a phone call checking in on you and, and asking how you're doing. Maybe that's in leading a connection group. You know, maybe that's in teaching a class or in preaching. But there's so many different ways that that is accomplished, but that is the role that they are to, to go towards. So in other words, the noble task is not finished until Jesus returns. When Christ comes back, the task will be over. So when I was reading through this second trustworthy saying, and, and I, was look, you know, I was reflecting back on this elder that I had in my life, Larry, and I was kind of going over what it meant to have somebody in my life that actually kind of like created this process, a video came to mind, and I want to play it for you guys. And it, the video is actually from CIY. CIY officially had their 50th anniversary, and so they've been around for 50 years. CIY stands for Christ and Youth. It's where we um, take our, our high schoolers. It's where we take a bunch of junior hires, and now where we'll also take a bunch of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. It's a big company that has a lot of different things. One particular guy who spoke at a lot of different events, his name is Jeff Walling, had this really uh, cool opportunity to, um, he thought, to go and thank CIY, but what he ends up having happen to him is exactly what we are talking about here. So if you want to go ahead and play a video and turn off the lights. Wow, 50 years. <laughs> and after all that, who would I say thank you to for, for connecting me with CIY? Oh, man, don't make me pick one. I, I mean, first off, I'd... Actually, Jeff, hold, on, hold on one second. Yep. Uh, let's, just, let's keep rolling. Uh, we get we get actually somebody else who needs to say thank you. Hey Jeff, my name is Lance Stockton. I'm a student pastor at White River Christian Church, and uh, actually I'm here today to say thank you to you. Uh, so 18 years ago, 1999, I attended my first CIY event ever as a freshman in high school. But I heard the gospel in a way that I'd never heard before. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church, and so. Uh, for me, that was a week that just rocked my world, and uh, it changed my eternity. He started to get into the presentation of the gospel, and uh, it was like I'd, I'd seen a ghost. Like, I, I'd heard that before, and uh, I looked up, and I couldn't get my eyes off. It was like you and I were sitting in that room together, just the two of us again. And, uh, you know, having been there in 1999 and then in 2016 sitting there listening to you, um, it was awesome because not only was I experiencing that again, but had students that I've been praying for sitting next to me. And uh, one in particular was sitting right next to me and heard the same message uh, that I probably heard in 1999 and 2016. And uh, actually, uh, he's here with me and wants to say thank you as well. So, it's nice to meet you. I'm Sean Vitalis. Hi, Sean. Good to meet you. Um, I was in the sixth grade, and choosing to go to CIY holds a large place in my heart as one of the best decisions I ever made. One of those nights that we were there, you spoke to us, and that speech set a big part of my life into motion. <laughs> Later that night, in service, we were able to sign a sticker, put it on a door outside of the worship center, and then we could walk through the door as a devotion to our lives with Christ. I made the choice to devote myself to God that night, and I, along with three other sixth grade guys, walked through the door as changed people. Until this day, I still believe that making the choice to go to CIY Mix was one of the best choices of my life. If I hadn't made the decision to go to CIY three years ago and be able to hear your speech, my life would not be the same as it is today. I thank you for all of the work that you've done with CIY and for all of the kids that you've changed for the better just like me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There were people that you guys don't know. 
there were youth leaders and speakers who did that for me. And so any good thing you got out of this, and you did, is just this huge parade of people telling Jesus' story. So I just, I'm so grateful for your thanks. But I'm going to hold you responsible <laughs> to be on a CIY stage somewhere, sometime, sharing your testimony, giving a lesson. And then when you least expect it, you'll be sitting in a chair and some punk kid will come out from behind a curtain and make you cry like a little girl. And so just be ready for that, too, because that's part of it. Um, you guys are part of a wonderful parade that goes all the way back to the apostles. And it's an honor for me to join you guys in that same parade. Thank you both. I look forward to seeing what God's, God's going to do in your ministries and in CIY in these next 50 years. So Jeff uses that phrasing, a parade of Christians. And I just can't think of a better way to word exactly how all of us come to faith. You know, it's sometimes minutely these grand things that, that do bring you to faith, but most of the time it's that one person that took time to talk to you and to engage with you in a conversation. And, you know, for that student, or for both of them, you know, maybe the, the moment with Jeff speaking on that stage was just a culmination of, of little moments that brought them all to that point where the spirit moved at just the right time for Jeff to kind of be the one that, that saw it happen. But I'm sure both of those, and if Jeff himself can even trace back the different conversations that happened to lead up to that. And you're in your own life, you can do that as well to say, all these conversations led me maybe to the point of salvation and then led me to deciding what it looked like to follow Christ deeper and what it looks like now to go and to make disciples, to be that person to join into the parade of bringing those to Christ. You know, so all this kind of comes back to this idea of this trustworthy saying. It's a noble task, Paul says, to be an overseer, to be an elder, to equip saints, to do the work of ministry, to bring the name of Christ into the world. But it's not just the role of the elders. It's all of our jobs to do that. It's all of our jobs to go into the world and to be somebody in the parade along the way. Christ is calling all of us to this noble task of bringing those into this understanding of salvation. Yes, the elders are the ones that are setting the example for us and showing us what it looks like to equip and to, to prepare. But it's all of our responsibilities to preach this good news that Paul gives in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Christ came into this world to die for sinners. And then Paul says, of who I am the worst. That's the good news. And we all get the ability to go into the world and to be a part of the parade to tell that to others. So just to kind of end this sermon with, with some simple uh, heart-wrenching questions. <laughs> are, are we doing that? Elders, are, are you doing that? Are you accomplishing this noble task? Are you working hard to build up your families into maturity in Christ? Do you desire the hard work or do you seek it for the status? Is there anything that Paul presents here that you need to spend time praying about? I know there, there's lots of things that I always read where I'm just like, man, I need to work harder at that. To us as the church, are we submitting and applying the teaching? Are we teachable? Are you able to talk uh, through the hard, the hard things? Are we able to take hold of the truth and make them a part of our life? Are we doing our part to be filled with Christ. You know, we're all called to this, this walk, this faith, and the fact that Jesus would give us elders like this 
to the church is a witness to his love for us. He cares so deeply for us that he knows we need people to walk alongside with us. You know, he gave us the Holy Spirit into our hearts and he gives us elders into the church to just be constant for us. So uh, let me pray for all of us as we leave church today that we go into the world to go and make disciples, to go and to baptize those into the name of the Father and into the name of the Son and into the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the elders that are here in our church in Galesburg. I thank you for them being men that are willing to to be devout to you and to, to care deeply for you, to dig hard into who you are and what you care about. I pray for them specifically that they are able to stay strong in you and that they keep pushing forward in who you are, striving to learn more about you. Pray for us as a church that we are being teachable, that we are willing to listen and to obey what they uh, present to us that that you have uh, called them to. Father, I pray as we go into this world that we are going and making disciples and that we are showing people the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that we are being the light in the world. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was contemplating just what makes a person choose to become a Christian. And uh, I was generally thinking about the things that I've read and, uh, and heard over the years and just uh, it was just it, to me it makes sense. I mean you, you, you go back and look at your, your past experiences and, your, and all the things you've done and said and you're like okay I've read this I've studied this and people have talked to me and it, and it builds a whole story if you will and it's like yeah I can buy into that. Uh, that that makes sense. That's that that's the right decision. Uh, but specifically, I was thinking, what what causes a person who doesn't know all of those things to choose to follow God or choose Jesus as their Savior? And uh, I got to thinking, well, maybe maybe life is like a game show. Um, maybe it's like Let's Make a Deal. I don't know if you guys remember that show. It's been it's been running in one incarnation of another since the early 60s, uh, basically. Uh, you got a contestants and, and you get to choose between one option or another. And, and maybe, maybe your life is like uh, the three-door puzzle uh, that, that was on that show. Uh, maybe you're continually presented with doors. And specifically, uh, one of the doors is Jesus. Behind the, behind the door is Jesus. And uh, the other doors have goats behind them. And uh, you pick a door, uh, and then Monty Hall steps up and, uh, and, and opens another one of the doors to reveal a goat. And then he wants to know, do you still want to keep your door, or would you like to choose another door? And in case you don't know, keeping the same door as you originally chose, you have a one-third chance of winning. And if you change doors every single time he opens his door, you have a two-thirds chance of winning. Now, I'll leave it up to you to try to make that make sense in your head, but that's, that's real. That's the, that's the way it works in that particular game. But <clears throat> imagine Monty Hall presenting you with two doors. And he says, behind one door is a vast treasure, and behind the other door is a goat. Which would you like? Is life like that? What if Monty Hall offered to open one of the other two doors so you could see what was behind it before you made your choice? Is life like that? In a way, it is. There are three doors. Behind door number one is Jesus on the cross. And you can't pick that door because you're not Jesus. So ultimately, you have two choices. You have to pick a door. And the good news is that both doors are open, so you can see what's behind them. Behind the other two doors are two criminals being crucified, and you can choose whichever one you want to be. You see, at the end of the day, you're either a criminal that repents and believes in Jesus, or you're a criminal that doesn't.
All you really need to know is that Jesus died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. And by accepting his gift of grace, you can receive everlasting life with God. You have both doors open in front of you. One has a goat behind it, and the other has treasure. It's really that simple. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, are so thankful for for your Son, and uh, we are so thankful for the uh, sacrifice that he made to... uh, to forgive us our sins and uh, provide us the opportunity for everlasting life. And uh, this morning we just uh, would like to uh, consciously make that choice again and uh, to repent of our sins and uh, to thank you and uh, to continue to try to make that choice to be uh, as you would have us to be. As we take this communion this morning, let's just uh, remember everything that uh, that you've done and uh, just say thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.